0: Our thanks to SureTest and CTG for helping us to end childhood cancer. Today on This Week Health.
1: We have such a vast array of patients we have a group of patients, right, And because of religious situations, that they don't use technology at all, right, the Amish community. You can't ignore that, right? So you have to take a very vast, wide approach of how you're delivering these things. And it's not just always generational, but there are all of these other social determinants that we have to take into consideration of how we're addressing them.
0: Today, we are joined by Cletus Earl, CIO for Penn State Health. Cletus, welcome back to the show.
1: Ah, uh, Bill, thank you so much. It's a pleasure being here. It's always great to have a chance to talk to you and your teams and the friends here on this community.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to the conversation, but we have to start with the March Madness. Penn State got in. Do you know who the first round game's against?
1: Yeah. Texas A&M. So yes, yeah, this is very happy, but uh, we'll go lines. Let's are they Are they a sleeper? Do they have a
0: chance of going far or is
1: it a long well, shot? Let's just put it to this way. I had them to go a little bit deeper in the uh, bracketology there. So uh, call it, whether it's biasness or whatever it is, hopeful, but they've been hot. They've been really hot lately, so um, even getting into the last set of games, they lost to Purdue by two points, so I think they have a hotness. They have the hot hand, right?
0: The thing I don't understand is they have such a great football program. They have a lot of great sports programs. People don't know. Penn State's wrestling team is unbelievable. I mean, it's best in the world, right?
1: And it's been like that for decades, so... Is that because
0: they get the gym time and uh, the basketball team doesn't get the gym time? Is that what's going on there?
1: Don't, don't know the details, but yeah, yeah, top wrestling program in the country, right? And it's been like that for forever. So yeah, it's very interesting. Glad you pointed that out. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, growing up, I
0: grew up in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. in the shadow of Lehigh University. Mm -hmm. And Lehigh University used to be one of the top wrestling programs in the country. And I don't think people get a feeling for how big of a deal wrestling is in certain areas of the country. Ohio, Pennsylvania, Iowa, uh, really Big Ten, I guess.
1: (laughs) Very central, right? It seems to be the central part of the country. It seems to be very popular and very pronounced here.
0: Yeah. All right. So people want to know if we're going to talk about healthcare, And we are. We're going to talk. But, you know, I always start with the question. Tell us a little bit about uh, Penn State Health
1: to get us started. Well, I appreciate you asking the question and again, inviting me here. Penn State Health has been on a journey. It's been three years, a little over three years since I've been here. This is truly an organization that was built in the middle of cornfield. And to be honest with you, It has basically flourished ever since. Being originally part of the Penn State University, we created College of Medicine and a Health System facility right in the center of Hershey, Pennsylvania. And it has just taken off for many years since the 60s. It's been more of a standalone facility. And over the last decade or so, they've decided to continue to span out and buy and build new organizations. So I always say that we're somewhat in the early infancy stage of a health system to be able to bring together more of an ecosystem, more of a hub and spoke model. So this is something that we're seeing in this community, probably one of the last few communities that have experienced this level of transition But the organization continues to understand what research is and what taking care of the patients are from a quality perspective and really offering the best services to the patients that we serve. So very interesting. We just finished opening one hospital and bringing another in October. So truly, right now we're in the optimization stage as we open those hospitals. We're just trying to figure out, okay, how do we continue to promote systemness in our facilities?
0: Yeah, it's fun to be in the growth mode, except when you do acquisitions and whatnot, you have all the M&A activity that goes along with that, which is a fair amount when you're talking about health systems. No matter how small they are, they tend to have 100 to 200 to 300 applications.
1: Yeah, and unfortunately with that comes the technology debt. And as we continue to figure out the system, I've been able to bring on some amazing team members from around the country. We are all just really knocking them out and tapping into the existing teams that we have here. We're doing some really great things of trying to figure it all out together so that we could bring in the new and acclimate the old and making us all work together as a comprehensive clinically integrated network. So
0: what are some of your priorities to start off 2023?
1: Well, as I mentioned, optimization is one, right? Getting us to do some elements of getting us right. Application rationalization brought it right to the crux of it all. As you do all of these M&As and all of these elements, we have many more applications that we're not proud of. And the key here is to start to reduce that footprint to really maximize our resources so that our teams are not focusing on things that are not strategically aligned to the organization's objectives and agenda. So that's one of the things that one of my team members, who's our chief application officer, Mary Andrew Walter, she's inherently involved in doing that, but working with our other team members, right? Our CTOs, our CDOs and all the others that we have to really help rationalize in a better way so that we can actually start focusing on the things that makes the most sense for our organization and our staff. Yeah, that, the application rationalization is so important. I mean, from
0: an efficiency standpoint, there's extra costs that you're spending. Also a focus standpoint from an IT perspective, but also complexity, complexity and security. I mean, there's so many reasons to start to bring down that number of applications because the number drives complexity. And then when you're Trying to do those really cool things. Like we're going to create a clinically integrated network and we're going to create these dashboards. We're going to drive quality through these things. And instead of trying to connect up 55 applications, you're connecting up five and it just becomes a lot more doable, I think, for the whole team.
1: Yeah, you to point earlier, hundreds, right? And even the goal of moving from many EMRs to one, we now integrated our acute care facilities under one platform. And our goal is to integrate them now into our ambulatory sites and then that same platform so that we have the best possible care, reducing and mitigating the waste that comes with clinical care, ordering labs, testing. We really did a major push to focus on interoperability. And integration, particularly around our regional health information organization, the health information exchanges, and whether at the local, regional, and state, and national level. So these are things that we're realizing that if we do a better effort to really emphasize on integration and access to the information, as well as allowing others to see our information, knowing that, our patients we want them to come to us but they're not always going to be under our umbrella the moniker of the brand behind here we have to be able to take care of them no matter where they are and also understanding that that's what's most important to us when it comes to care and being able to have things accessible
0: when i think about where you're at in terms of optimizing the platform and whatnot i think that the question i want to ask is around adoption of the technology and getting the clinicians to buy in To the use of the technology, because you're bringing on new platforms on the acute and ambulatory side. How are you driving adoption? How are you helping the clinicians to adopt the technology and to utilize technology to the highest level?
1: Yeah, that's always a challenge. And I would say there's no perfect answer for this one because there are people that love one system over the other and some challenges. And also, to be frank, some challenges that we have with our technologies at times that we have to really partner with our vendors to be able to work at the elbow support, right? Being able to inject our teams doing more rounding, being able to just be at the side of our clinicians to find out and our providers and nurses and all of those others to find out where are those gaps? How do we fix some of these issues? One thing that we do have, we have some really great data, particularly around the clinical systems. And I would emphasize to people to use that data, we have to stop looking at Previous way of are they using the EMR for meaningful use? And I think meaningful use years ago was okay, can we get them to start using the system, doing orders, and all of that? I think we need to evolve ourselves now, starting to figure out well, exactly how many times, right? Like, how long is it taking them to do X? compared to some national benchmarks, state benchmarks, and then being able to help guide them that way. So once you start to have that level of conversation, and then you can really have your at-the-elbow support teams working with those providers to say, hey, we're looking over your shoulder to help you, not to criticize, but we're looking to see how we can make your world better and really focus on that quadruple aim element, right? The burnout, and saying, we're watching what you're doing and we see that you're doing these particular things, extra clicks or different models, but did you know you can do this? And also by using some of the embedded tools within the EMR, if at the elbow people are not available to them, allowing them to learn in the record itself. So if there's something that they needed to do as a workflow that they haven't been able to click on, they haven't used in a while, having the functionality to have that provider click on that little icon, and they can get just-in-time training in that particular workflow of that workflow. If they didn't order something, they can click on a particular little icon and they can get training at that point on how to do it. Again, we just need to keep trying to figure out how do we cater the system and adjust in order to accommodate this kind of new approach of the system is always going to be optimized, continue to be optimized, and we have to make sure that we're training people in a more real-time basis are you guys a part of the arch collaborative have you gone down that path i'm just curious no not yet not yet
0: it's interesting the work that they've done in terms of adoption and some of the stuff you just said just resonated with another interview i did with the team over at class that was working on the arch collaborative Yeah.
1: So I know about it. I work with the class folks, but again, we're doing very similar elements, but you're right. I think this is the natural pathway. I think where you're doing the quadruple aim, and then as they talk about the quintuple aim, and we need to do the same thing with that element when it comes to patient satisfaction and consumerism and all of those stuff with our patients as well, because we have to make sure that they start to use the systems in a very just way. So that will be in our future phases. We'll get back to our show in just a minute. Having a child with
0: cancer is one of the most painful and difficult situations a family can face in 2023 to celebrate five years at This Week Health. We're going to give back. We are partnering with Alex's Lemonade Stand all year long. We've got a goal to raise $50,000 from our community and we're already up over $12,000. And we are asking you to join us. There are two ways that you can do that, one is you can just hit our website there's a banner at the top that says Alex's lemonade stand click on that and you can give directly at that lemonade stand. Another way that you can do that is we have been doing drives and we've been doing drives all year long. In January and February our drive for March is something that the team came up with and i'm really excited about and it is, we are going to vive with the team and we're bringing Captain. Captain is my producer's service dog and Captain will be with us for the entire event. You're gonna see us around the event doing interviews and here's the drive. The drive is get your picture taken with Captain, you and a bunch of your friends with Captain, get the picture taken, go ahead and post it on social media and Twitter, LinkedIn and tag us at This Week Health. When you do that, we're gonna count the number of people who are facing the camera in the picture And for each person in the picture with captain facing the camera we're going to give one dollar to alex's lemonade stand so with your help we hope to raise a bunch of money for childhood cancer at the vive event and we hope that you'll be a part of it it's going to be exciting we have some partners that are a part of this with us and we really appreciate them stepping up to help us fund this we hope to raise a ton of money SureTest is a phenomenal partner. Order is another one. And Artisite, great companies, great products. Check them out. And we hope that you'll participate with us. And we look forward to seeing you at the Vive event. Now, back to the show. So let's talk about your patients. Tell me about your patients' expectations. Are they changing? Or are they different based on
1: the geographies that you serve? I wouldn't say different. But it's interesting you asked this question because I was just meeting with the team today, my digital folks and the marketing teams, and we were looking at survey information to find out what is it that our patients want, right? And trying to figure out how do you get there. And I wouldn't say that things are changing immediately because again, we're in central Pennsylvania, right? We do, we have access to cities and we have some of our facilities in cities. I do think there's a difference between some of our city customers and the difference between our rural customers and what they need and want when it comes to care. But as far as functionality, when it comes to technology, I do believe that we are seeing truly generational when it comes to what they're looking for and convenience, right? So We are looking at how do we do things in a much more advanced way when it comes to zero touch, right? Being able to make things more accessible via the technologies that we have on our phones and other types of geofencing functionality, really trying to mitigate the, the use of arduous tasks such as paper processes for certain generational, like a generational design approach. But then understanding that, hey, we have such a vast array of patients that we have a group of patients, right? And because of religious situations that they don't use technology at all, right? The Amish community. So you have to to take, right? You have to take... You can't ignore that, right? So you have to take a very vast, wide approach of how you're delivering these things. And it's not just always generational, but there are all of these other social determinants that we have to take into consideration of how we're addressing them. But those who do want technology, yeah, we're looking at delivering, right? New approaches. Again, I'm new chief data officer at Kendall Sims It's come aboard. She came from Coca-Cola and we're looking at how do we use tools and technologies that you're seeing in, in the private sector and the for-profit sector and these other industries to really bring it forward to our industry. So if, if people don't think about that, but
0: when you're talking Hershey and Lancaster and those kind of things, it's not uncommon to drive down the street and see the horse-drawn It happens all the time. You get <laughs> stuck behind them. <laughs> and but, you know, if you're caring for that community and we're talking social determinants and even hospital design, I mean, you think about all the things, I mean, each community has its set of, of variables and factors that you have to take into account if you're going to serve that community. Like I assume you have Amish places for horses when they
1: bring them into your hospital. Oh, we just built a. 100, 300 million dollar facility, new hospital. And in the back, there's a horse buggy parking, right? I mean, think about it. You have to do these things. This is in Lancaster. So you have to do it. And that's, in my opinion, and I talk about this in other settings too, but that's truly diversity. That's Taking to consider social determinants; these are all of these other factors that you have to contribute to how you're taking care of the patients. They don't I, use they don't use technology at all either. They don't use it at all, right? And that's where I was going before. So imagine this conundrum that we have: that you're talking about patient portal, this communication, follow-up, online communication, scheduling. They're not schedule. going to do online scheduling. Yeah, yeah. They, Remember, some of these communities are not allowed to have phones as well. They have a shared phone in some of these communities, one shared communal phone. So these are the things that it is extremely imperative for us to think about. And we just talked about the Amish and the Mennonite communities in this way, but the same applies in other communities, right? So in urban settings, right, we have to look at communities of color in the same way and say, okay, what do we have to do this different? that to help accommodate those? Or if you're in Native American reservations, and how do you accommodate those particular communities in different? That's what we as IT professionals need to figure out. How do we start to incorporate some of our technologies and also facilities to enable technologies to our customers? That's basically where the rubber meets. I love that call to
0: action. I was in Southern California and major cities, right? So Orange County. And whenever you have a major league baseball team, you're in a major city. And I remember talking about technology and some of the sisters, because we were a Catholic health system, would come up to me afterwards and said, oh, okay, how does this work for the homeless population? Because our homeless population was significant and growing. And how does this work for the underserved? How does this work for... And they were always challenging me on... This is great, but what about those people that don't
1: have those access points
0: that you're talking
1: about? You're spot on. And again, hopefully nobody takes what I'm saying as an easy conversation. These are not easy discussions. These are not easy solutions. I think just like we know, hospitals are all local, right? Health systems are local, so you can't save a fucking one work in others, but I think you need to work with your community, understand the various nuances of each community. I think you need to have a diverse workforce, right, in order to understand what it looks like because when you have the ability to have people think differently, they're able to bring different perspectives on how you address communities in a certain way. And I think that's least really important to keep in mind.
0: Let's talk about data sharing. You talked about your HIE. You alluded to your HIE earlier. Is that one of your primary data? Data sharing mechanisms, and then I assume you're on Epic, so you're probably using their platform for sharing data as well.
1: Yeah, so we're not on Epic. We are. Well, there you go. I'm we're sorry, the only, only systems in this region that's not on Epic. We're a Cerner platform. So data sharing has to be really important. Exactly right, because that's where I was going before. So we don't have that general Epic community connection that you can tap into. So it is imperative to share with our Rios in that sense and be able to it's a P3N network that's in the Pennsylvania area so that we can share our information with no matter who it is. And my whole goal is to share everything, including the kitchen sink. Right. And that's my whole thought process. Do that and be able to pull it back down as well and be integrated into the EMR. And we've worked with our CERNA customers and a certain partners and others to do so. So I think it's imperative. We also participate in open notes, right? So there's those elements as well. And every opportunity we have to be able to say, we're sharing information, we're going to take advantage of it. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. So do you end up meeting, you know, that when we were supporting
0: our regional HIE, because we were the largest contributor of data to that portal, I ended up sitting on that board and helping them. They have a challenging position, I mean, it's no easier for them to get all this data and make it accessible for everybody else than it was for us back in the day to bring it all together, except they're Switzerland, right? They're not a single entity. Are you able to do the things like create a clinically integrated network and share that data outside of just your region? We
1: have the ability now to be able to say definitively that this is the outcome or result of doing that. We don't have those areas. I mean, we do have the one-off patient scenarios. I do think there, we as an organization and as an industry can do a better job of helping define that. As an example, we participate in Commonwealth, right? So that's our major exchange partner. And by doing that in theory, theoretically, you're able to connect with the and and all the other solutions that are out there at the national and potentially international level. What we don't have kind of going back to evidential outcomes to show how is your patient data? being showed or used when they're a snowbird. They go to Arizona or they're in Florida or they're wherever, and they're being taken care of in these particular communities during this time of the year or spring break or something like that when our kids are traveling. We are unfortunately, again, as an industry, not able to understand that globally, holistically, what that looks like. And I think if we're able to do that, it would show such a different level of functionality and I think success would breed more success if we continue to do that. And that's not a Rio issue, right? That's a global issue. Providers, you know, because we're in a competition mode, we don't live in a world of, hey, let's show how clinically integrated information of data is promoting to the outcome of mitigating wounds or we have a better outcome. So I think that's an opportunity for our entire industry as a whole. I know living in
0: Florida, I drive down the street and I see the Phillies, the Eagles, I see Villanova, I see Pittsburgh Steelers. So clearly there's a lot, of, a lot of people taking some time down here. We'll get back to our show in just a minute. We have a great webinar coming up for you in April. We just finished our March one on April 6th at 1 p.m. Eastern time, the first Thursday of every month. We're gonna have our leadership series. This one is on CISO priorities for 2023, Chief Information Security Officers. We have a great panel. We have Eric Decker with Intermountain, Shauna Hofer with St. Luke's Health System out of Boise, Idaho, and Vic Aurora with Hospital for Special Surgery. And we are gonna delve into what are the priorities for security? What are we seeing? What are the new threat vectors? What is top of mind for this group? you want to be a part of these webinars and we would love to have you be a part of them, go ahead and sign up. You can go to our website thisweekhealth.com, top right hand corner, you'll see our webinar. And when you get to that page, go ahead and fill out your information. Don't forget to put a question in there. One of the things that we do, I think that is pretty distinct is we collect like for today's webinar, we had 50 some odd questions that we utilized in order to make sure that the conversation is the conversation that you want us to have with these executives. So. Really appreciate you guys being a part of it and look forward to seeing you on that webinar. Now, back to the show. I I wanna put a future lens on for a minute. Are there specific technologies you're keeping an eye on that you believe might have more of an impact on healthcare over the next five years
1: than we're seeing today? Is there a specific technology? I I can guarantee you, you ask every CIO now, (laughs) that question and the answer that comes out their mouth is a good portion of them is saying chat gpt and that kind of function (laughs) that's probably a softball to me right no so absolutely i think that type of technology ai machine learning slash chat function and gpt and all of those things are going to be game changers for us and the things that i continue to ask my partners is well what are you doing right in order to connect with those things because this is not new We knew this was coming, right? We knew this kind of feature was coming. But I go back to Watson, right? I mean, geez, I think it's since the 90s, right? Or early 2000s when Watson came out. And we're hoping to see Watson. I think that Jeopardy match, hoping to see it used in our industry. IBM chose to go down a certain road when it came to the radiology side of the shop. Unfortunately, they didn't point it at the EMR as a whole. I hope to see that these tools start to be pointed at the EMR to start learning more so that we are able to provide complementary referencing to our clinicians. I love to see these kind of features, more chatbot features being used in the patient side, at the patient center side, so that when a patient needs to have an experience, they just ask a question and it happens. RPM, RPA, all of those things get mapped out automatically to help change their experience right there shouldn't be a scenario where a patient needs to create a schedule and they have to jump 20 websites 20 different pages different clicks in order to schedule an appointment they should be able to do it via one click right or if you look at the amazon way right which jeff bezos is going to lead if we can make things simple to change the experience i think we need to work on that i use this example and we, this is funny that i'm pretty sure you have examples of many other your listeners do When you're at home, your plumber or your vet or your groomer for your animal, your dog or your cat, they're able to use functions where you know who the person is, you know the time, you have that kind of automation that when my plumber comes, I know who that person is who's coming to my my website. I know more information about them. It's all shared to my phone and it's all digitally experienced. And then when I'm done, as soon as that person leaves, I'm able to get a bill. I'm able to pay that bill. I'm able to close that particular case out and also create a review. And that's all done via the CRM arm. And it's done at a very simple phase. If vets and plumbers and all of these other industries can do that, I mean, goodness gracious, the healthcare sector should be doing that. And we're way behind. And that's something that I think we have to learn and do better as an industry. Yeah. All right, let me
0: close out with this one. I have a fair number of vendor partners that listen to this show and they listen to it because they want to know what you're thinking and what's going on. And I rarely ask this question, but I just wanted to touch on it. So what have you learned about dealing with vendor partners over the years? And what piece of advice would you give to those trying to work with healthcare organizations?
1: This may not be the answer you want. (laughs) It's not the answer I want. It's the answer they want may not be the answer they want. I've noticed throughout the last 3 to 5 years, particularly covid has been one and I think the answer is subject to not just their industry but as the workforce as a whole, vendors have taken somewhat of a back seat. Their model and approach have changed and it's been more of a what have you done for me lately approach from a vendor's perspective and years ago you used to see a real commitment from your partners, right true partners. To work together to execute a specific action and create a return on that investment i think vendors have not been true partners lately and this is the big ones right from small to big so i've noticed that there's a level of reduced efficiency or reduced return on the investments organizations or people like me do and we're spending millions tens of millions hundreds of millions of dollars in certain things and we're not necessarily getting the return i would love the day When we can implement, we can buy something. We go, we get sourced out, and we go and buy something. And we say, this is the style. This is what we're going to execute. And I would love today to see if we can even get to the 80th percent of using the tools that we said we're going to buy that's being executed for that reason. Time and time again, what I notice happens is that when you execute something, you don't execute it to the 100th percentile. And I know some challenges may be associated. It's not always vendor. But I would love to get you a world back in a world where they deliver what they say they're going to deliver. And we're paying for the tools that we know that these systems can actually be able to accomplish. Because if we're able to do that, Bill, we're able to truly stop some of the waste that's occurring in our industry. Right. And we're contributing to that. Let's be very frank. And we need our partners to, I don't know, maybe it's a kick in the butt of the way we used to do things and start to get back to that and start delivering. Now, I know I get it. The world has changed, right? Our staff members and everything is difficult. I get that. I get it. But if we don't continue to deliver, we will consistently being realized as a industry that should be in the basement and not at the table and not basically contributing to the best bottom line of our organizations. And I mean that from the vendor perspective, as well as the business. We need to change that game Narrative. Well, Cletus, I always love
0: spending time with you. I appreciate your wisdom and the time that you spent with us to share your experience with the community. And again, hopefully I'll see you at one of these conferences
1: coming up. I'll be at Vive, I'll be at Hims. I'm looking forward to seeing you as always, my friend. And again, thank you for inviting me. Always love to have these discussions and more importantly, being able to just tell people where we are sometimes is what you see is what you get with me. And my whole thing is to be frank so that we could change the narrative together. So thank you for giving me that opportunity.
0: I love the chance to have these conversations. I think if I were a CIO today, I would have every team member listen to a show like this one. I believe it's conference-level value every week. If you want to support This Week Health, tell someone about our channels. That would really benefit us. We have a mission of getting our content into as many hands as possible, and if you're listening to it, hopefully you find value, and if you could tell somebody else about it, it helps us to achieve our mission. We have two channels. We have the Conference Channel, which you're listening to, and This Week Health Newsroom. Check them out today. You can find them wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Google, Overcast, you get the picture. We are everywhere. We wanna thank our keynote partners, CDW, Rubrik, Sectra, and Trellix, who invest in our mission to develop the next generation of health leaders. Thanks for listening. That's all for now.